This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. That is Hebrews 13.3. Guys, thank you so much for listening to today's show. I will tell you right from the jump, I normally have throat issues. You guys know a lot about that. I also have strep throat, and I also haven't fully recovered from speaking for like three hours over the weekend, okay? So I'll get more into the speaking over three hours, but if I'm a little bit more subdued in this episode, I'm actually going to try to be a little bit more subdued so I don't have to take 17 breaks that I have to edit out later uh, and all that kind of stuff. So please pray for me that we can make it through this. But also, if you guys have not left a review, we've gotten a lot of great five-star reviews here recently. I love reading the comments, okay? Not the comments in like the comments section on my social media and YouTube videos. <clears throat> all right, it's already going bad. But uh, the comments that you guys leave when you leave a five-star review, I'm so thankful to hear why exactly you guys like the stuff that we do and what exactly is speaking to you. So please continue to do that. And also just a reminder, we are affiliated with Origin Maine. So guys, they make some of the best products that are 100% made here in the United States of America. So they do jeans, work boots. They've got belts. They've got wallets. They got a whole bunch of stuff. If you do jujitsu, they have the best geese and rash guards on the planet. And they're actually working on some new jujitsu, jujitsu shorts that are amazing. And on the Jocko Fuel side, they've got energy drinks. They've got a lot of supplements. And guys, if you go to their website, which is in the show notes, you can use the promo code UNDAUNTED to get 10% off your order. So go there, get whatever you want to get. Use the code UNDAUNTED to get 10% off your order. And if you're listening to this and perhaps you're not on our mailing list or you're not you know, following us on social media, I need to let you know something, okay? We have new merch. Okay, now you guys have been bothering me about t-shirts for forever and ever. And I told you, you know, maybe we'll get with a company later on. That'll make it more advantageous for us to do t-shirts. But right now it's just so unbelievably, you know, expensive and time consuming to get them out to you guys for not very much profit. But we just dropped this, a brand new hat. We're calling it the Green Lion Classic Elite Hat. Guys, if you're watching this on YouTube or on Rumble, it is right there in front of your face. But the thing about this hat, is I'm like a hat junkie, okay? And I'm also a hat snob. So there's a lot of hats out there that, you know, are made for like golf tournaments and random crap, and they're just junk. These are junk hats. This hat is unbelievable, okay? So we are selling less than 50 of these because we didn't make very many of these because I didn't want to be spending the next like several weeks, you know, sending these out to you guys. But this is Branded Bill's E100 Series Classic Elite hat. So it is a snapback. But the thing about this is it's the adjustable snapback, but it's breathable and water resistant. So if you can see right there, that's all mesh, but not like the crappy mesh material that you'll get from like some of these terrible hats that you buy at, you know, your local store that'll put your logo on it. This is like you put, if I were to pour water on top of this right now, it would run right off breathable water resistant. It's got this quad foam cushion and these performance panels. It's a silk soft front panel. And so basically when you put it on your head, it just doesn't feel terrible because some hats feel terrible. There's thread lock technology. It's got our PVC patch there on the front. So you guys can see right there, we've got the thing there on the front. So this is mainly what I wanted because I was wanting to do like an early season hunting hat and all the camo hats I found at like Cabela's and Bass Pro and all that, they were kind of like those weird hats that just don't fit your head right. So I kind of selfishly wanted to make myself my own hunting hat. And then this is the one that we produce. So if you were listening to this on time, okay. And if you follow us on Instagram and Facebook, you already know about this. These go on sale today. So if you're listening to this on time, they are on sale today as of noon central standard time. So today is March the 9th. 
Okay. And again, like I said, we have less than 50 of these available. Okay. That's it. And when they're gone, they are gone. I mean, unless we get just overwhelmed with emails from people and messages like, oh, I didn't, wasn't able to get a hat. I want to order it. Because again, these were very, very expensive hats to make. And, you know, it's just basically me shipping them out to you guys and boxing them up. But guys, they go on sale today. The only place to get them is at undauntedlife.com or sorry, undaunted.life backslash shop. I'm messing up my own links here. Undaunted.life backslash shop. Again, as of noon today, if you're listening to this on time on the 9th, they are available. When they're gone, they're gone. The little button basically won't work to order them if you get in afterwards. But then, yeah, I mean, again, if, if you really wanted to get one and you weren't able to get one, uh, just go ahead and send us an email. And if we get enough of those, maybe we'll do another run. But again, this hat, this amazing, amazing hat, which has already become my favorite hat is available. So you guys can go there and check it out. So I'm skipping quick hitters again. Now, I know a lot of you guys really grew to love the quick hitters, and we are certainly bringing it back. I'm not getting rid. <coughs> See, I'm like coughing all over the place. Got to get a drink. We're not getting rid of the quick hitter segment. But again, with my throat surgery coming up, I literally feel like, you know, when you have you ever had a hoopty? Has anyone like had a hoopty out there where you're literally like about to get a new car? And like as you pull your hoopty up to the dealership to pick up your new vehicle, then the engine finally explodes and like, you know, there's fire and crap everywhere. That's what I feel like is happening with my, with my throat. So April 10th is my, my surgery, but I feel like I'm literally going to drive this thing into the ground and just put all the faith in God and the surgeons that they can fix my throat. <coughs> so guys, y'all are just gonna have to deal with it. I'm going to keep clearing my throat today. Keep taking trades, to, uh, you know, uh, things to get drinks and little breaks and stuff like that. But I promise, I promise, I promise before my surgery, we will do quick hitters. I literally have a list on my phone of all these ridiculous stories that I want to talk about. And I just haven't had time. And I certainly don't have uh, the, the miles on my throat right now. But I really, really wanted to come to you and talk today. Even though I'm sick, even though I got strep, even though I probably shouldn't be talking I've got to talk about what I did over the weekend and why we're naming this episode Preaching Behind Bars, You Can Still Be Free. And so I'm just going to tell you this story because it's a very, very important thing. And over the weekend, it was literally, I feel like one of the seminal experiences that I've had in my life and something I feel very, very thankful that I was able to experience. So follow along with me. But last year at some point, I didn't, I was, I meant to go back and look for whenever the very first uh, consultation was, but I want to say it was late summer, early fall, something like that. I was reached out to by a chaplain of a uh, federal penitentiary or a prison. I'm, I'm not sure all the terminology, but it's a, you know, max security or medium security prison in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. And what he wanted to do is he wanted to invite me or he did invite me to come and speak to the prisoners there at that penitentiary or at that prison. And so the thing about it is, is you can't actually be paid. As far as I understand, you can't, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. You can't actually be paid to go and speak at a prison. You have to go as an unpaid volunteer, but he still wanted me to come out. And so basically we worked it out to where it's like, okay, I'll speak at the prison, but in order to, you know, basically take care of the fee and, and you know, the travel expenses and all that, that I would also speak at a men's event while I was there. And so it was kind of one of those things where I get reached out to quite often uh, about coming and speaking at things, but typically it's people that don't have a plan in place. So typically it'll be some guy at some random church. that's like, Oh, you know, what would it cost to get you to come out here? But they don't have any decision-making power. They don't have money. Like they don't have a budget to, to do an event. They don't have an event date picked. They don't have, you know, a venue. They, they don't have anything picked. They're just curious. 
And so I kind of gotten in this mode of like, okay, for every one that actually books, there's going to be 10 just kind of looky lose that, that don't really have anything that they're going to actually get going. And with this process of booking me to go out and speak at Lewisburg prison, I kind of felt like it was going to be like that. It's like, oh, you know, someone was just curious and reached out and it's just never actually going to work out. But lo and behold, it did work out. And so the chaplain, and, and again, I'm, I'm using his name as the chaplain because I, I didn't get anyone's permission to use their actual name here on the show. But he got a group of people together and they did some interesting things to, to raffle and raise money and bring attention to me coming out there. And then we, we booked it. And so it's like, okay, it's booked. You know, we're going to go out there in March and, you know, we'll see what this is going to be. But it was basically going to be on Lewis at Lewisburg. They've got the big house, which is the, the prison where the, the, you know, they have the guys that got MS 13 there. That's where, you know, murderers, rap- rapists, pedophiles are all, you know, locked up in there. But then they also have a camp, which I didn't know this was actually a thing, but there's also a prison camp that these people can go to, which it sounds terrible. It sounds like Gulag Archipelago, but basically these people, they, they're not under lock and key necessarily. It's like a camp that's outside the walls of the regular prison, but they are still prisoners. They have to, they have to come, they have to be counted and those types of things, but it's like super low security. So they wanted me to speak at the camp. They wanted me to speak inside the prison. And then they wanted me to speak at a men's event. And so that was all going to be happening in less than 24 hours. And so obviously, as I've detailed for a lot of you guys, you're probably tired of hearing about it, but I'm like, oh my gosh, my, my throat, and my voice have been just awful. You know, it's hard enough <coughs> as evidence right now, it's hard enough to get through one podcast where I record for 45 minutes, 60 minutes by myself. How am I going to speak for three hours in less than 24 hours? And, and then in addition to that, talk to people in between and all that. So that was kind of part of my preparation, just mentally getting to a space where it's like, okay, take care of your voice enough. To where you can like, you know, with bubble gum and duct tape, you know, keep it together long enough to get through this. But then as I was preparing is like, okay, now I need to figure out exactly what I want to talk to these guys about. And as you've probably seen on my website or heard me talk about before, I have some canned speeches that I could go and give tonight. Right. And so these aren't speeches that I have to practice. These aren't, you know, speeches that I have to like really think about what I'm doing. I've already got my notes. I already have the, the, the stuff, the ideology in my brain. So I just go there and just do it. Right. I just go there and make it happen. But something didn't feel right about that approach with this opportunity because I've never spoken at a prison before. I've never spoken to, to inmates or any of that type of thing. And so it was like, do I just you know, repackage something that I've done for other crowds before? It didn't really feel right. And then about four or five days or about a week, we'll say a week before I was set to, to leave to go and go to Lewisburg prison there in Pennsylvania. I talked to a couple of guys that I know had spoken uh, before prisoners before, and that's Phil Robertson of Duck Dynasty fame and Pastor Joby Martin. And so Joby Martin has, uh, they actually have uh, campuses of Church of 1122 in prisons. I know, uh, I know at least two, I think, maybe three. And then Phil Robertson has spoken there at Angola Prison. I think it's a max security prison down there in Louisiana. And so I spoke to both guys on the phone and kind of got there their overall ideas about what they would do if they were in my position, some things that they would talk about, some things that they would avoid, you know, just really picking the brains of these two guys that have done so much in the Christian space and also in terms of presenting material before, whether written or spoken or any of those types of things. And after speaking with those two gentlemen, I was like, okay, I'm just going to scrap the entire idea of what I was going to present about and just start from scratch and present something completely different and new to these guys. And so thank you to Phil Robertson and Pastor Joby Martin for all the the thoughts and preparation and time you spent with me, just kind of giving me your overall thoughts. But yeah, I did scrap my speech, created a brand new speech, 
And the entire time I had these prisoners in mind, because the interesting thing about it is like, I, I don't really think like a prisoner because I've never been one, right? Now I've put myself in the mental space of, okay, what would have to happen to one of my family members where I would do something that could potentially land me in one of these places? I've obviously kind of thought through scenarios like that before, but I've never been under lock and key like these men have. But I spend quite a bit of time and I create some new notes and I get some new ideas. And I just got to tell you, whenever I felt like I was done with the new speech, I was like, this is good. And you guys know that feeling, like whenever you produce stuff, whether it's at work or if you're a content creator or something like that, there are times when you just create stuff like with me on this podcast, there are times when I get done recording a podcast, I was like, eh, you know, it is fine. It's fine. I hope the people think it's fine because, you know, it's just, yeah, it's whatever. It's acceptable. But then there are times when you do something where you're like, nope, I nailed it. I hit the target. <clears throat> and since I hadn't presented it yet, I couldn't know that it would hit the target or that it, you know, it would have any type of impact at all. Essentially at that moment, it's like, okay, it's, it's good enough for me to feel good, good about getting on a plane. And if I had to you know, deliver it right at that moment, I'd be good to go. So I get the speech good to go, get packed up, fly out there. By the way, my very first flight, cause I think I flew to Charlotte and then from Charlotte to Pennsylvania, the very first flight was like the roughest flight of my entire life. And I was like, I don't know if this is a sign from God or if just like the weather gods, if Thor's mad or something like that, guys, no, I don't believe in Thor. It's just a joke. But it was super rough ride, but got on the ground on the East coast and then flew on up to Scranton and then was picked up at the airport uh, by a great guy who, you know, we were able to chat on our way there and, you know, I'm hanging out the night before, right? So it's me and a few of the guys that are, you know, that work at the prison and some of the guys that were going to be helping with the men's event. And I'm trying to conserve my voice because I know the next day I'm speaking twice at the prison. And so I'm just trying to kind of lay low and all that. But then I also start feeling sick like the night before. <coughs> and I'm just like, okay, this can't be happening. Like I can't be sick. Like, cause you're already on the road. You're not at home. You're not going to sleep in your own bed. So you're feeling, you know, like you're going to be a little bit, you know, out of the, your normal routine. But at the same time, you're thinking like, okay, you can make it. But then I start feeling sick, start feeling run down. And so I go back to the hotel that night. And I just go to sleep and I wake up in the morning and I feel fine. So this is the day I'm going to be speaking. I feel fine. That's great. But then I automatically, and had been, not just that morning, but certainly in the, the days leading up to it, feeling the weight of the opportunity. Now, for any of you guys that have done prison ministry before, perhaps you, you don't feel this way or never felt this way, but I was feeling the weight of what I was going to be doing. Because I knew that day that I was going to be talking to men that didn't feel like they had any hope. And I was going to be talking to men who would never be leaving the inside of that prison. And even if they did, you know, they would be, you know, you, you know how it is for recidivism and all those different things. And so it's like, these are people that are going a particular direction and they literally need to go in the exact opposite direction if they want to have any hope. And I could feel the weight of that. And typically when I speak live anywhere, I always feel the weight of it because I do some level of a gospel presentation. And so I'm constantly feeling the weight <coughs> of, excuse me, of presenting that message. But here we are, it's the morning of, you know, let's get ready. Let's get our game face on. And so that morning, uh, we go to the museum, they have a museum there. Oh, and I guess we need to talk about when I got my first look at the prison, like this is where you get the expression, the big house. 
Guys, I'm really sorry about the coffin. I'm trying not to do it on the mic. But they've got this big smokestack. This is like a hundred year old prison. It looks gorgeous from the outside. And you're pulling up. And the one thing I remember is there's kind of this long drive before you get to like the admin building to even get into the prison. And here I am just being driven up there because here I am a guest speaker, right? But I think about those guys that are brought up that long drive. They're on a bus and they're in a jumpsuit and they've got, you know, handcuffs and ankle cuffs and all that. And it's like, they, they're going to be in there for decades and they know that and how different that feeling might be. But we, we go to the museum that morning. I get a little tour, uh, get to know some of the names, some of the famous names of people that have come through that prison before. Al Capone had been in that prison. Michael Franzese, whose uh, a podcast interview was released the day that I flew out to go out there. Um, and getting to hear some of those stories, they have like this whole like museum of like all the different shanks they found over the years. And so we're talking about like the, the sharpened toothbrushes and, you know, things of sheet metal and like glass and all these crazy things. And so again, this used to be one of the roughest prisons, if not the roughest prison in the United States. And they've, they've kind of changed the, the culture a little bit there. But again, it was just kind of a reminder of like, Hey, there are there are people in there that don't want to see you walk out, right? And that's just kind of the kind of the the whole the whole deal of it. So got to take a little bit of a break, do some lunch, and then it was basically time for me to speak at the camp. And again, the thing about the camp is guys can kind of come and go. This is more of the, I guess, the white collar criminals, I guess is how it was described to me. So, you know, I can't really think of different white collar crimes or things like that. But these are guys that, you know, three months from now will probably aren't going to be there. A year from now probably aren't going to be there. Okay. And so I go in and I speak and we're in kind of this like classroom thing. And the thing is, is before I even start speaking, the guys were so appreciative that I was there because as I understand it, this was the very first time that in, in a long time that anyone that wasn't law enforcement had spoken to these guys in any capacity. And so they were to a degree, they were just thankful like, Oh, Hey, here's this guy. Here's a circus act. Like, let's go and check it out. But then there were other people that had been praying for me for months. And they were so excited to actually see me in person. And these are people that go to the church there, you know, at the camp. And, and, you know, they had been, you know, praying for me beforehand. They prayed for me once I got there. And so there's some people there that were excited to see me. There were other guys that were excited to see me specifically because, you know, they were Christians. And then there were just kind of looky-loos. There were dudes that were bored. And so I go in there and I, I deliver this speech. And it's funny, I keep calling it a speech, but they really were sermons. Like I, I was preaching while I was in there. And so I talk about, you know, the masculinity of Christ. And I talk about based on scripture, like what type of guy he was, how he wasn't just tender, but he was also tough and how, you know, he's a guy that's, that's worthy of following. And I, I read through Luke and I read through the crucifixion account. And then I do a gospel presentation at the end. And you know, I even kind of made fun of myself. I was like, I'm from Oklahoma, but I'm not about to be a Southern Baptist here because it's normally like, all right, every head bowed and every eye closed. I was like, every head up and every set of eyes open. And I said, you know, if if you think for the first time in your life that when Jesus died on the cross, that that somehow counted for you, that he blotted out your sins and now gives you a pathway to the Father, and you want to put your faith in that today, stand up. And I'd say I'm I'm bad at like judging, you know, numbers, but about a dozen guys in the room stood up. And anytime you give a gospel presentation and people respond to it, like it's overwhelming. At least it is for me. 
Maybe it's old hat for guys that have been doing it for a long time, but it's just, it's so overwhelming and it's such a cool experience. And again, I, I'm not in a place to know if that was legit or if these are just guys that stand up every time or if they're trying to look good for their parole board or all that. Like that's, that's not really my concern. They stood up and made a response to the gospel call. And then I just said, all right, guys, come on up here. Like, you know, let's, let's pray together. And again, there's nothing magical about the prayer. It's not the prayer that saves you, but I just wanted to pray with these guys real quick. And so we prayed and then, you know, gave some hugs out and some handshakes and those things. And they all sit down, do a little bit of Q and a, there's a guy there named uh, Rocky and, you know, he's very, very cynical and skeptical about this whole thing. And so he and I had a very fun uh, interaction there quickly. And then, you know, the guys needed to go. And so, uh, we, we called it and, you know, I interacted with a few of the guys and then we got out of there. And so the, the feeling, uh, was very interesting during the break because I was like, okay, my voice made it, you know, I had lozenges ready to go. And so I was, I was good to go, but it's like, okay, let's, let's just kind of relax and let's kind of, you know, get things back going. But then the guy was with the chaplain that was, you know, taking care of me while I was out there. You know, he's like, Hey, let's, let's go walk around. Let's go show you parts of the prison. I was like, yeah, great. And the thing about this prison guys is now, so we were at the camp. Now we go inside Lewisburg, inside the big house. And I got to tell you, it was gorgeous. Again, this is a hundred year old prison, but it was gorgeous. <clears throat> I think it was, uh, the architecture is based off of, or mimicked like a, a monastery or something. And you just couldn't believe that it was a prison. I, someone mentioned, I think it was a chaplain, like, Hey, if this place ever shuts down, it needs to be, you know, just like a, a protected historical site that people can come and walk through. Cause I completely agree with that. Just absolutely, absolutely amazing. I don't know if there's a lot of pictures online inside Lewisburg, but just really, really wonderful inside. But then <coughs> again, guys, excuse me. We go in and we start walking around the different cell blocks because we were like trying to find a couple of guys that were going to help with the PA system that was going to be in the place where I was speaking. And, uh, you know, at one point I kind of realized, okay, we're just walking around a cell block, cell block in a prison. And the only guard, if you will, was the chaplain that I was with. And so again, in this part of the prison, that's the murderers, the rapists, the pedophiles, the kidnappers, like this serious dudes walking around. But again, they were so thankful that I was there. They knew I was coming. Again, several of these guys, one guy specifically, uh, his name was Sojourner. He had been praying for me for months. And then here I am, I'm there, and they're just so excited to hear what I have to say. And I kept having guys coming up to me saying, hey, man, we're so glad you're here. Thanks so much for being here. And I'm just chatting with them. Like, they're just regular dudes because at the end of the day, they, they are. They've crossed some lines that I haven't crossed, but they are regular dudes at the end of the day. And so walking around the cell block, you know, yeah, just kind of having fun interacting with these guys. I go get a little bit of uh, food and then just going to go take a break in the chaplain's office. And then it came time to speak. And I'm really feeling the weight because again, I had three speeches I was going to deliver one at the camp, one inside and one at the men's event. But the one inside Lewisburg, that was the one that I was feeling the most weight of <coughs> because again, a lot of these guys are lifers. Many of these guys will never, ever see the outside of Lewisburg prison. And so I really wanted to be on my game as mentally, physically, I wanted to be as squared away as possible. And so they take me into where I'm speaking and I'm trying to describe it. It's this huge open room, gorgeous architecture, like these pews that are set up. Like I can't even like, you know, I can't even 
begin to describe how big it is. There's a stage in there where, you know, different bands and speakers have performed in. But I was like, I don't want to be on the stage. I want to be on the floor. And the, the floor, it kind of like ramps up towards the back. And, you know, I'm just standing there waiting. I've got, you know, a couple of inmates behind me. And then the inmates start filing in. And so they come in and it's just dozens and dozens and dozens of these inmates. Again, they, they weren't forced to come. They got to choose whether or not to come hear me speak. And they kind of spread out, but a lot of people came and sat down at the front. I introduced myself to a ton of them. I wanted to kind of interact with them a little bit. And, you know, it's kind of like take a little bit of that sting out of it. Like, look, we're, we're, I'm not any different than you. Like, let's just, let's just talk. We're just people. And then I gave my speech or my sermon, if you will. And it was the same one, at least um, in terms of the notes I had as the one I delivered earlier in the day. But everything was elevated. Everything was. The feeling in the room, the excitement, my, my nervousness, but it wasn't like nervous, like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? But like, just like, hey, you got this, but don't mess it up, you idiot. Like it was one, it was one of those types of things. And so I, I deliver this. Uh, I'm getting, I'm not getting a whole lot of feedback though inside the prison, which is the opposite of what I thought. I thought the dudes at the camp were going to be more subdued and the guys inside were going to be a little bit more like animated, but it was the exact opposite. But same thing comes at the end. I talk about the gospel. I present the gospel as if they had never heard it because you can never assume that everyone in the room has heard it the same way that it would be presented by you. And then I say, if you think this counts for you, and this is the first time you're making that decision, stand up. Probably a couple of dozen guys stand up. So for the day, we're at about three dozen people that are responding to the gospel message. And in hindsight, this is kind of funny because all of the guards are in the back. So, so it, just look at it. There's a stage behind me with two inmates behind me helping with the PA system. There's me on the floor. There's lots and lots of inmates, right? And rows and rows and rows and rows and rows and rows of pews. And then at the very back, there's like three guards. So from a security standpoint, probably not the greatest setup for me, but I wasn't worried about, about me at all. And I say, at this point, we had all these guys respond to the gospel. I say, you guys come up here and get around me. Like, get, get gathered up around me. Which is weird, because again, murderers, rapists, pedophiles, rough dudes. And so they come up, and they gather around me, and then all the guys sitting down, I was like, you know what, these are your brothers. Come on up here and, you know, lay hands on these guys. Not like, you know, put hands on them, but like, hey, we're just going to lay hands on somebody Make sure you're touching somebody and I'm going to pray. Again, nothing magical about the prayer. And so I do that. I pray. And it was, I remember in the moment being like, it's, it, it was almost like it wasn't me talking, which is weird to say. It's almost like, oh, you're being extra poetic. But it's like, it, it was literally like the Holy Spirit was speaking through me. Like I wasn't even thinking of the words that I was going to say. They were just kind of like, bleh, just coming out of my mouth, right? So I say this prayer and we're done. And this is very regimented, right? This isn't like the camp where the guys can kind of hang around and do whatever they want to do. These guys were on a time limit, right? They, they needed to go back. And so I think I answered one or two questions and then the guys like literally had to bounce. They had to get out of there. And it was just such an overwhelming feeling that I went there to give a speech. The speeches turned into preaches, right? Or preaching, if you will. And to have about three dozen guys, prisoners, inmates, respond to the gospel call was just overwhelming. It was, it was such a unique feeling. 
I literally feel like I, I kind of, you know, ringed or rung myself out on other, the proper verb tense for these guys while I was there. It was like, I'm going to give them everything I've got. And I did. And, you know, we walk out of there. <coughs> Excuse me. Chaplin was very happy with how everything went. The, you know, I was happy with how things went. We get out of there. It's raining. You know, we get out of there. We, we go get some food and I go back to my hotel room and it's like, okay, let's go to sleep. You know, got to wake up in tomorrow and, you know, do it all over again for, for a group of guys. And I wake up the next morning, super sick. <laughs> so that was kind of, I guess the front end of what I'm dealing with now with strep and all kinds of other things. And so what I was supposed to do is I was supposed to go to this venue where they're doing this men's event that they've been planning for months and months and months, put a bunch of effort into it. And I was supposed to interact with a bunch of people, right? Interact with the guys, interact with their families, kind of just hang out, be around for a few hours, you know, be around for, for the lunch. They, they, uh, you know, smoked up a couple of whole pigs and, you know, it was just going to be a whole, whole deal. And I just messaged the guy the mo- that morning. I was like, look, dude, I, I feel awful. And my voice is like destroyed, not just from speaking twice the day before and all the other speaking I did, but like something's going on with my throat. Like, I need y'all to pick me up like just in time to get me to the venue in time to speak. Like that's, that's how bad I feel. And so he's like, absolutely. And you know, I just kind of rest there, uh, in the hotel. I try to get some fluids and just try to get a little bit. And you know, I, I I take a shower, I get dressed. I assume I'll feel better, you know, after I get food and a little bit of an energy drink and different things like that, but I'm still wiped, no energy. I've got no pep. And it's like, dude, whenever I speak, especially when I speak live, like I try to do a lot of things off the top of the head. I try to be, you know, funny and interact with the crowd. And I'm, I'm feeling none of that right now. And out of nowhere, I think about one of my main jujitsu coaches, his name's Livingston. And so he's one of our black belts. He's also done a lot of fighting and different things like that. And for whatever reason, I'm like, call Livingston and have him give you a pep talk. And this is a really busy guy. He, he does a lot of traveling on the weekends. And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to call him. He's not going to answer. And what do you know? Two rings in. Hey, man, what's up? And so I, I very calmly in a very calm voice, I go, hey, man, I'm really sick. I woke up sick, but I'm here in Pennsylvania. I've already done two speeches. I have one more to go, but I got nothing in the tank. And that night was the night that John Jones was going to be fighting Cyril Gaon for the heavyweight title. And I was like, so I need two things from you, Livingston. Number one, I need you to tell me who you think is going to win the, the championship fight. And number two, I need you to like be my MMA coach. I need you to get me fired up. I need you to like, you know, get get me ready for what I'm about to go do. And so he just immediately starts telling me why he thinks, you know, John Jones is going to win the fight, but you know, some things are all gone. probably going to do. And then he flipped a switch and turned into an MMA coach. And I can't remember exactly what he said. I can't, but all I remember is sitting there in the chair in this hotel room and being like, oh, you know, kind of just slumped over, like not feeling well. And as soon as he went into MMA coach mode, I start like, yeah, yeah. Like I'm like, you know, patting the floor, patting my legs. He legitimately got me all fired up. And he was basically like, you're out there to do a job and that's exactly what you're going to go do. Go out. You've got a calling from God, make it happen. And I was like trying not to like yell. But as soon as he was done, I go, that's exactly what I needed. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you later. And then he just hung up and moved on with his day. And so I'm feeling a little bit better. I get picked up. I go out to the venue and I get to interact with the guys. The thing that was odd about this event that I found is like from the moment I walked in, it was like, I think I finally got to feel like what it felt like whenever you're like the hottest girl at prom 
and like everybody's looking at you when you walk in the room. That's kind of what I felt like. I was like, okay, here I am. I'm wearing all black like I normally do when I speak. And it was like, everyone's looking at me like, oh, is that the guy? And so that was kind of funny. But I, I introduced myself to a bunch of people and, you know, we had a good time. Now, one of the things they did to help raise money for the event was to do a gun raffle. And it's really funny. They bought me a ticket for the gun raffle like months before. And I remember telling them, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I want to get a new 300 Win Mag or a 6.5 Creedmoor and different things like that. And wouldn't you know it, I won the raffle for a 6.5 Creedmoor. Like, and the whole time I'm like, surely not. Like, please don't let me win. Like, they're doing this like slow lowering of the numbers, like to where it's like, all right, everybody's standing up and then they slowly have people be eliminated and sit down. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm about to win this thing. They're going to boo me out of here. Like, they're, they're going to string me up outside. Like, you can't be the speaker, <coughs> you know, the center of attention and win uh, one of the guns that is going to be given out. And so here I am, I win this firearm and I'm like, as I'm walking up there, they're all laughing, but I'm like booing myself, throwing two thumbs down and all that. So that was a cool thing. So that, that'll hopefully get to me before too long. But then I get up there and I deliver uh, a, a speech to those guys, or you can call it a sermon different than the one that was in the prison, some similar elements, but again, talking about the masculinity of Christ and I'm getting a lot of responses. You know, this is, this is a Christian crowd, a male Christian crowd. And they were really responding to when I was talking about the uh, feminization of the church, how Jesus is presented in a very effeminate way in artwork and music and those things. And then at the end, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do a gospel call again. Because even though you're purportedly in a room full of Christians, you never know who you're talking to. Okay. And so I do a gospel call and three guys respond to the gospel for the first time, varying ages as well. And so I had those guys come up, had everybody else in the room gather around them and we prayed for them. Again, nothing magical about the prayer. And that was a really cool moment. <coughs> but I can tell you, as soon as I was done praying for those guys, I was like, done, done. It was like every last bit of energy that, you know, I had in my system or that Livingston got me fired up for beer, like powered down big time. And so I'm looking at my watch and it's about time to get out of there because I had to get to the airport and, you know, I'm doing a little bit of interactions, but ultimately I get to the airport, I travel home and I, there was a little bit of delay. So I had to stay one extra day in Chicago and, but I eventually got home. And so it was such an unbelievable experience. I'm very thankful for my time out there in Pennsylvania. And specifically, I do want to give some thank, thank yous out. Again, I don't know what types of names I can use, but to Chaplain Wallace and to his wife, thank y'all very much for being such gracious hosts to me while I was out there. Chaplain Wallace, you obviously put a lot of time and effort into the event and a lot of thought into what would go down. And that was evident. So I'm very, very thankful for y'all. Also to everyone that helps, helped with the men's event. There were people that were, you know, driving Miss Daisy. They were driving me around, making sure I got to where I needed to go. <coughs> the guys that, you know, there were people that drove in from like Ohio just to come hear me speak in Pennsylvania. So like getting the word out and all the marketing that was done in that area was great. To everyone that helped with the prison. That, that walked me around and showed me different things, people that checked me in and out, people that kept us safe and made sure we were all squared away. Thank you so much to them. To the inmates of Lewisburg Camp, so thankful for you guys. I hope that I can connect with you guys uh, in a different context down the road. Also, to the inmates of the big house, inside the walls, I hope to see you guys again. Because I know for a lot of you guys, I, you know, the two guys that were helping with the PA system, both of them were on like 20-year terms or sentences, I guess you could say. And, you know, they've got like seven, eight years left and they're talking about it. Hopefully like, yeah, you know, you know, seven or eight more years and we're out of here. And it's like, man, that's, 
that's two undergraduate degrees. You know what I mean? And they're talking about it like, hey, we're almost there. I hope to see you all again. I hope that's not the last time I'm out there to speak in Lewisburg. I would certainly accept an invitation to do that again. So if y'all will have me, I'll certainly do that. But before we get out of here, I do want to kind of give some of my overall thoughts um, uh, about this, but also, uh, you know, bring some things out in scripture that I notice. But again, I definitely want to go back, speak at Lewisburg. I would love to speak at more prisons. So I, I don't think Undaunted Life is going to shift to be a, a prison ministry necessarily. But this podcast can be listened to <coughs> and viewed by just about anybody on the war, in the world. But I don't think there's really any way for the guys in the prisons to hear any of this message. So they can't just go to YouTube and watch this. They can't just go to Apple Podcasts on their phone and check me out. So being able to take this message directly to them is something I'd certainly like to do more of. And so interested in doing that. So for guys that have connections to federal penitentiaries or prisons, you know, that, what these guys did is like, okay, they brought me out to speak at the prison, but then, you know, I was able to be paid through a men's event kind of a deal. So there are different ways to do this that I think would be very, very interesting. And what's funny about this situation is just kind of another overall thought. Sometimes you just have to say yes. And then you have to ask yourself, so what's the question? Or ask the people, you know, you're talking to, so what's the question? Because I said yes to the opportunity of speaking in the prison before we figured out any of the logistics. <coughs> before I knew how many times I was going to be talking. Before I knew the types of guys I was going to be talking to. Before I knew really anything. I just said yes. Because it just felt like God was saying, you need to do this. And I was like, all right, yes, Lord, let's figure it out. But as I was reflecting on my time there at Lewisburg, I was reminded of a couple of things from Scripture that involved Paul and also involved prison. So there's one time in Paul's life. So he's in prison and he's writing a letter to Timothy. And so he's wrote, he wrote two letters. So that's First and Second Timothy. And I would consider Paul to be, <coughs> excuse me, guys, I know that's annoying. I would consider Paul to be a very, very manly man for a myriad of reasons, but I especially think it's because of how he comported himself at the beginning of his second letter to his pupil, Timothy. So at the time of him writing that second letter, Paul is languishing in a Roman prison. This is likely his second stint in a Roman prison, and he's awaiting his coming execution. He does not assume that he is ever going to see the outside of this Roman prison. So Paul is absolutely up against it spiritually, mentally, and physically. We always talk about spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So spiritually, he knows his execution and death are imminent. And for a lot of people, you know, perhaps you've noticed this with people in your life that were, <coughs> excuse me, their death was coming and they knew their death was coming. Maybe they were terminal. Those people get very, very spiritual because they know that there's something on the other side and that they need to reckon with what exactly that's going to look like for them. Mentally, in his letter, you know, Paul talks about how several of his supporters had abandoned him during this time. So imagine being like the guy, you know, Paul the Apostle, and then now you're in prison and all your supporters go away. Had to be very, very mentally taxing. And physically, I mean, he's in an ancient Roman prison. Those things weren't exactly known for their spa-like qualities, right? And at this point, he had been flogged multiple times, beaten multiple times, shipwrecked, snake bit, like the whole gamut, right? So Paul is going through spiritual, mental, and physical anguish. But then he still manages to show resilience to share this unbelievably beautiful message with his people, Timothy. And specifically, I'm talking about 2 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 14. But just to kind of conserve my voice, I'll read verses 12 through 14 here. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day 
what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So again, he's languishing in prison, knowing he's about to be executed and knowing that his supporters are not there for him anymore. And he writes that. I gotta be honest, I'm a very pessimistic guy. And when things aren't going well, I lament. And I'm like, oh, this sucks. And I don't know what I've done to deserve this, blah, blah. And I start to sound really weak in those moments. But look at that resilience. Look at that resolve. But also we see in the book of Acts about Paul and Silas being in prison. So I'm going to read from Acts 16, and I'll start in verse 23. But just to set it up, they were mobbed. Paul and Silas, they were mobbed for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were stripped. They were beaten. They were beaten with wooden rods, apparently very, very severely, and then they're just kind of tossed in prison. So Acts 16, starting in verse 23. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prison ha- prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. So I want to go back to the main message that I gave to the men that were in prison. Because again, I wasn't getting a lot of response. You know, there's not amens and it's not, wasn't this, you know, crazy charismatic experience. But there was one specific quote that I got directly from Phil Robertson. I still have the notes sitting here right in front of me. Because this is something that he said when he's presented in prison. And, you know, he spoke to me for 10, 15 minutes. And then he goes, Kyle, here's the point. And this is what you need to tell these guys. And so I just basically parroted it directly to these men. I told them, you can be under lock and key, but you can still be free. And in the three presentations I did when I was out there, but especially in the prisons, inside the prison, that, it was like, it got everyone woken up. That's where you got amens. That's where you got the, uh, you can be under lock and key, but you can still be free. Because I told these men that they had crossed the lines of man. And certain lines that they had crossed came with laws and came with punishments. And that's why they were in there. (coughs) That's why they were assigned a number and assigned to a cell. Because they cross the laws of man. But I told these men that all of us have crossed the lines of God. All of us. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All. And all means all. So I told these men, there is no difference between you and I. In terms of the lines that we've crossed that God set for us. 
We've crossed different lines of man, but the same lines of God. And we must have an intercessor between us and the Father for us to be made holy and righteous. And so God sent his own son here. to Him who knew no sin made him to be sin so that we would have the righteousness of God. Us. And that's the sacrifice that counts. Not where you reside on this planet, geographically inside or geographically outside of prison. What matters is where you put your trust and where you find your identity. And I put my trust in the sacrifice of Jesus, a real person that was also part of the triune God that was sent here to die so that I would have a way to get to the Father. And I said, if you put your faith in that, you will be saved. And if you don't, you will not. And that's it. You can be under lock and key, but you can still be free. You can be freer than any of these people walking around outside these doors if you have Christ. And so that's what I told them. And that's what they responded to. And I'm going to tell the same thing to you. To someone listening to this right now, of which there are many, some of you, for the first time, are feeling like the sacrifice of Jesus. You knew the story. You've heard this stuff before. Oh, yeah, you know, Middle Eastern Jew, you know, was arrested and then beaten and flogged. And then he was killed on a Roman cross. He was crucified and then he was dead and he was buried. And supposedly he, he woke up and he was resurrected and all these different things. But for the first time in your life, for whatever reason, you feel like that counted for you. That somehow, you can't explain it, you don't have a theological, theological degree to explain it in detail, but you think that that counted for you. That when Jesus was sent here by God to die for the sins of humanity, that that counted for you. And you want to put your faith in that today. And I would tell you, wherever you are right now, unless you're driving, don't be dangerous. But if that's you, I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up. I want you to respond to the call of Christ. I want you to respond to the gospel because that's the good news. You are depraved. You have no way that you could possibly be good enough to be before the Father who cannot have sin in his presence. And so Jesus died for you. So if that's you, we're not going to do a prayer because, again, there's nothing magical about a prayer, but I do want you to reach out to me. Info at undaunted.life is our email. Info at undaunted.life, or you can DM us on Facebook or Instagram or something like that. I want to talk to you. Wherever you're at, I want to see if I can help get you plugged in at a church. I want you to start your discipleship journey. If you can't get a, a Bible, we want to make sure we get one of those in your hands as well. But I want you guys to respond to the gospel. And to those of you that are already Christians listening to this right now, I want you to remember that evangelism is required of you. You need to share the good news of what Christ has done in your life and the good news of the gospel and a full gospel. Not, oh, you know, Jesus is okay with everything and he came to die only for certain people or for certain sins. No. You are so depraved, you have no chance of saving yourself. And literally thank God that he sent Jesus in your place. So, to those of you who have responded to the gospel today, I'm so excited for you. I wish I could show it more with my voice, but I'm just trying to make it through the end here. Please, please reach out to us. We'd love to talk to you. But, but guys, uh, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got a link to the Origin website. Again, guys, geese, jeans, boots, protein, energy drink, supplements, all that is at the Origin main website. Use the promo code Undaunted to get 10% off your order. 
I've got a link to where you can donate to keep what we're doing here at Undaunted Life alive. And then I've got a link to the Undaunted Life shop. So at noon on Thursday, if you're listening to this, that is Thursday, the 9th of March. You can check it out and get one of our new green hats. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. Judah.